Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown, joined in the studio by Isabel Gonzalez. Gonzalez? Gonzalez, yes. Proper pronunciation. Exactly. Welcome. Thank you so much, Graham. Thanks for having me here today. It's lovely to have you here because you've got a really interesting accent, which I'm trying to unpack. There's a bit going on, a bit Spanish, a bit Australian, a bit English. A bit Kiwi as well. Big Kiwi. <laughs> There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot to unpack. There's a big story there, isn't it? How many countries have you lived in? Um, I've lived in Germany, in, in England, uh, in Spain, in Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. Wow. For seven years now in Singapore. Now in Singapore, yeah. I love those different like flip flop on the accents. But yeah. you were born in Spain. No, I was actually born in Germany. Oh, you were born in Germany. I was made in Spain, but born <laughs> in Germany. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe too much detail there. So, how many languages do you speak? Um, I speak uh, Spanish, English, French, Italian, and uh, German. Wow. Yeah, no, a, a little bit of uh, Singlish sometimes. Singlish, all right. Yeah, <laughs> it's more of a dialect, isn't it? So you've had this really fascinating cultural background, and I'm wondering, we're we going to talk about Cloud9. So you're the founder, co-founder? Mm -hmm. of no, founder. founder of Cloud9, which is uh, essentially you know, a, a visual, a photography-based website. We're going to talk about it, what it is, and we're going to dive into your pitch deck and have a look mm -hmm. at that in a minute. To what extent has that, sort of come from your background of living in many different cultures and travel and so on is it something that you, were you a photographer at heart were you somebody who was fascinated by pictures and visual form and culture and so on yeah i mean my background is marketing right um so i've been in corporate life over 15 years and always in in marketing so as director of marketing of uh, different companies mm. and obviously you develop an eye for you know sort of uh, for photography and, and videos and um what is required and how best to engage with your clients mm -hmm. so that is a little bit you know how i got into you know cloud nine because i was a country manager here for for an online travel agency for mm -hmm. cheap tickets lsg but at the same time leading the the marketing department and uh, we set it up about um, seven years ago, so in 2010. And then we started realizing that there was a lack of um, Asian stock photos um, and videos as well. Right. What would and you mean by that? Well... I mean with Asian people in it? Yeah, exactly. Sort of. Yeah. So normally sort of in Europe and the US, we would be used to sort of being able to buy online stock mm. photos with um with the look and feel of the people you want to engage to so your clients yeah. and here what we found is that there was a lack um, and that they were very um yeah very staged but also very old-fashioned and the reason here for is because you know sort of um obviously the us and europe stock photography has been existing for the last 20 years mm. um so photographers they know how to go out they look for their talents they look for the you know sort of locations. So they shoot. They go online and they upload the photos. Mm. And here in the past uh, in Asia, it's always just been commissioned shoots. Right. So that is a little bit the problem we're trying to solve here because now global brands and that's from uh, Google to Visa to um, in any brand you know any global brand based here in Asia, they want to localize now their marketing campaigns and mm. they want to engage you know with their customers obviously by using people that you know sort of look like them so exactly. if it's uh, Indonesians Indonesians if it's you know sort of Thai Thai and so on. So that's a little bit, you know, so the problem we're trying to solve because there is a lack of it. Right. And well, we'll uh, talk about that because this is something that we and I have faced as a, a founder, an entrepreneur as well, when I've been 
building businesses in Asia. If I wanted to show pictures of, for example, like you mentioned, Indonesians, mm -hmm. you look for this in a traditional stock website. So there'd be like deposit photos or, you know, Shutterstock yeah. and, you know, Getty. you'd have like yeah. the Getty and the Orbis mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. And if you look for anything like that, it would say, for example, Asian, but then it would be Chinese. If you're lucky, you might get Chinese consumers, which if you're Indonesian, you know they're not Indonesian, mm -hmm, right? Because mm -hmm. they, they not only look different, but mm. they dress differently mm -hmm. and their mannerisms and so on. So they're going to have that sort of specific feel. Mm. So there's a real lack mm. there. And, you know, a lot of the stuff, like you say as well, that market in the US, for example, there are people whose job it is just to take stock photos. Mm. I know photographers mm. who do that. So mm. there is a, there's that secondary market of people mm -hmm. who go and gather the keywords that people are looking for, mm -hmm. right? Mm. Whereas here in Asia, that doesn't quite exist yet, does mm, it? I exactly, mean, there, there are professional yeah. photographers and you say commission-based. Exactly, one. yeah. So what's been happening is obviously the leaders in, in stock photography and on-demand branded content as well are American companies mm. or European English companies, actually. And um, But they, because they were not sensitive to the differences in Asian ethnicities either. So no. you would normally find when you go into Shutterstock or onto Getty and so on, that they would just tag them with Asian and then multi-tag right. them with um, Malay, you know, sort of Chinese, Indonesian, you know, Thai and so on. So, and there is a difference obviously, and that's yeah, yeah. where we specialize in. So we only um, focus on Asian ethnicities. So we do not allow our photographers to multi-tag the ethnicity. But right. if it's a Vietnamese, it's a Vietnamese. Um, and if it's a Thai, it's a Thai. So, wow. and the reason, therefore, is because we're saying that, you know, obviously each ethnicity within Asia looks completely different. And if you're looking for something particular, then that's, you know, what you should be finding. Interesting. Um, and, but our challenge in, in, in our case is, like, like you say, the sort of photographers in the, in the East, uh, sorry, in the West, they're used to producing stock photos right. because they think long-term. And for them, that means I upload 200 photos today and over a period of six months or a year, it's going to give me a monthly mm. income. And that's a mindset that doesn't exist here in Asia yet. Exactly. So that's the challenge that we face um, in getting photographers on board. Um, where we say, I know commission shoot is going to give you, you know, sort of money now, um, but stock photos is going to give you money, you know, sort mm. of in, uh, in the long term. And that's a little bit of sort of the educational part that, yeah. you know, sort of we're trying to set up here in the region as well. Right. Okay, good. Well, let's have a look at your pitch deck and mm -hmm. look at how you're solving that problem. We'll have a quick click through. Mm -hmm. We can get the pitch deck up. So maybe we can start. Oh, we've got the team up here. We'll come to those in a minute. If I can just click it right to the top. Um, obviously, this is cloud nine. The problem that you're solving, we've talked a little bit about here. I want to talk about the size of the market because you've put some interesting data up here. Obviously, these are the big guys. Shutterstock, mm -hmm. Getty Images are the biggest in the mm -hmm. world. Is that right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so they're just short of a billion in revenues in Getty Images. And market size. So what are we looking at here? You've carved out the APAC advertising market. Obviously, this is the market that you understand very well having worked in it. 156 billion a year. How big is the Asian stock market? 
in ter- or stock market, stock photo market? Yeah, the, 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 um, I'd say the challenge within our sector is that there are no real, there's no real data, like for right. example in travel, you know, in, in online travel, or whether it's OTAs or so, you have a lot of data. Um, we know that the revenue approximately coming from um, those stock, you know, sort of websites like Shutterstock and Getty tends to be about 30% from the APIC region. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little bit, you know, sort of a, across the market. And that's at the moment just for two of them. There are obviously many more. There's Adobe there. There's yeah. Deposit Photos and there's so, so many other, you know, websites. Um, overall, we know that the stock photo market um accounts for over six billion US dollars in revenue. Mm. Um, so we know that f- for the big boys, Asia is one of the fastest growing market at the moment, while Europe and the US where stock photography has been around for 20 years is mm. a bit stagnant at the moment because there are so many players as well. So there are a lot of specialized smaller players, while here in Asia there is no specialized Asian player. So even Shutterstock and Getty, so they've been talking to us the same as Adobe and, and other, you know, sort of websites, and they're all looking for Asian content. Yeah. So they even come to us saying, you know, can we give them our Asian content? Um, so we're all struggling in, you know, sort of producing yeah. or getting that content. The good news is that obviously, you know, global brands, they have recognized that they need to localize. They cannot use Westerners anymore. They cannot use, you know, sort of um, Chinese, you know, sort of in in the Indonesian market and so Mm. on. So there is a lack there and there's a big opportunity because, you know, sort of nowadays Asia is developing in in a very different way. And the good thing that is on our side as well is that with digital marketing, you know, sort of things have changed a lot as well. I come from like 15 years ago where there was no, you know, digital marketing, um, no mobiles, no, you know, sort of display ads and so on. And that has changed the whole landscape as well. So which means with digital and social media, you need to be able to download photos straight away. Um, at a low cost hmm. and uh, and you don't have a lot of budget for example you know to spend on branded content either because that's the other thing that that we do we have also on-demand branded content mm-hmm. but it has to be low cost because you know for social media display ads um, website you want fast you know sort of photos and you know sort of uh, uh, and videos and um so the turnaround time has to be quick and it has to be low cost mm-hmm. and that's really on our side because here on in asia it's really the region where we most use the mobile. Yeah. I've never used, you know, so much my mobile like when <laughs> I'm here versus, you know, sort of in Europe, which means, you know, the, the digital advertising is going to grow from 135 billion to nearly 240 billion over the next few years, mm. which is great because that means, you know, there's more need for photos and videos in the yeah, future yeah. as well. Add to that, I don't know if it's in your presentation, but something we talk about a lot here at Asia Tech Podcast is the middle class mm-hmm. and the growth of the middle class in mm, Asia. Exactly. The yeah. numbers there, 2009, I think 700 million middle class mm-hmm. in Asia, growing to three and a half billion by 2030. Mm-hmm. Now, every single one of those middle class families is going to want advertising targeted at them by the agencies, and they're all going to want something very specific, whether they're Vietnamese middle class, mm. or Chinese middle class, they're all going to need something very specific. So my question to you, Isabel, is how do you get the content? Because they don't have the that sort of layer as developed as you have in the US where you have the professional stock photographers Mm -hmm. going out and looking for keywords. How do you get it? What do you do? How do you get, for example, you know, we need to get 
photos of Vietnamese middle class families, mm -hmm. you know, and they're in a kitchen or, you know, Vietnamese mom with daughter. You know, those are the kind of searches mm -hmm. that people are looking for. Mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. because there, I mean, just to preface it as well, just show how difficult this is. I've actually looked for photos of away from the the image the people themselves of skylines mm -hmm. and if you go i mean i know you can grab this and get this like free content anyway but if you were like running an ad campaign you mm. want to pay for this stuff mm. right i would go onto a stock photo website like deposit photos look for a skyline of shanghai and the skyline of shanghai was taken five years ago and it's completely mm. different mm. you know yeah. there's like buildings missing so because it was taken by somebody who maybe went traveling mm. back in asia you know mm -hmm. went back to the the us and so on there isn't that up-to-date content how do you get it so we we have a product called online breeze which is a crowdsourcing of photos so what we do is with that on our platform, we'll reach out to photographers across the region. And a lot of it works for networking as well. So one photographer tells another photographer mm. and so on that we're crowdsourcing the photo. So one perfect example was Google at the beginning of this year. They were looking for you know sort of a specific campaign for them to launch a product. And uh, they asked us, you know, sort of to source um, stock photos of, you know, sort of Asians in, you know, doing a certain action. It could be, you know, sort of shopping, you know, sort of uh, at the local market and so on. So we had to go out and we reached out personally to all these photographers that we have in our network. Um, and it's really, it's a crowdsourcing of photos that you do because a lot of photographers, they shoot for fun, right. but they don't put it up onto websites. So we found actually that 90% of the photos we actually gave Google in the end had never been posted on any other platform. And they were just sitting on a laptop, yeah. you know, sort of off the photographer. And then they ended up earning you know, lots of money for a photo that they had just shot, you know, sort mm. of for fun. So that's how, you know, sort of we build the network among, you know, sort of all the photographers. And it's it's really building a brand and mm. a brand takes time, um, especially, you know, sort of in, in, in a region where photographers are not used to uploading, you know, sort of to photos, uh, to uh, platforms, you know, mm. online platforms. So it's really, you know, sort of the crowdsourcing of photos. So that's how we reach out. So we even do it, you know, manually going through Instagram, um, talking to, you know, sort of going through the portfolios of photographers, right. networking and so on. And then we going even into universities, so we do educationals as mm. well and try to get on board, you know, young photographers, you know, with the eye for photography, mm. for them to understand that everything is going online nowadays, that not to think of, you know, sort of photography anymore as a normal commercial shoot, but to think, you know, in the long term and the more you produce, you know, sort of the more, you know, steady income, you know, it, you mm. will get over the next few months. So that's a little bit, you know, how we work with them. And then with partnerships, so partnerships could be the types of, you know, online travel agencies mm. like Expedia. We did a big campaign, for example, as well, where we uh, launched a campaign a year ago um, to to produce photos, you know, in the different destinations. And that helped us, you know, sort of to upload them, you know, to our database and so mm. on. So we work sort of in, in different ways. We sort of try to be creative uh, within that as well. Um, and then we produce ourselves as well, content. Mm -hmm. um, so we have our own photographers as well who produce content for us and then other photographers who work with us as well. Right. Interesting. I imagine that the uh, the photographers that you work with tend to skew a bit younger because they have a different mindset. Exactly, yeah. I, I so know professional photographers yeah. and journalist photographers yeah, as well. Yeah. And their mindset is it's like 
you know i get paid a lot of money to take f a photo or you know of these people for example right. they have a real problem with this idea of you know sort of putting it out there almost you know for a low cost but the fact is is they put a lot of content out there they can make a lot of money hmm. mindset wise they're not sort of geared up to it how, yeah. how are you finding that yeah we find that more you know the younger generation now because they're used to uploading onto instagram anyway right and to facebook and so on so they think more online and uh we find that that you know sort of they're more and more you know sort of younger photographers who are more open to it you know so and they want to travel and yeah. that's their main objective to travel shoot photos and make money out of it so right. it's a good way for them you know sort of um, to make money at the end of the day so do you reach out to them on instagram and say hey yeah. look, love your photos have you ever thought about monetizing them like exactly, this exactly yes yes we must do be that a, as an well. easy proposition for them right it's uh yeah well it just depends because you know sort of sometimes you know people are not used to selling their own photos with right. them inside of the photo yeah and then you need the model released ideally as well from yeah. commercial campaigns you need photographers to you know sort of uh, sign the model releases with the models mm -hmm. so that's something that you know sort of they're only learning you know sort of a little bit on the job yeah but yeah we we find that uh, like the network of photographers we've been working with in the past has been more younger generation you know who embrace technology mm. i would say in a different way that you know sort of the photographers have been around for 15 or 20 years yeah sure okay good can we talk a little bit about your team as well because mm -hmm. you've got a slide on your pitch deck Maybe we can jump to that, that you, you've actually talked a little about, but who's in your team? This is quite like an interesting mix. I'm just going to scroll through. So this is your team here. Mm -hmm. um, so you're based in Singapore and Jakarta. Yeah. Okay. So who's based where? How many do you have in Singapore? How many in Jakarta? I mean, we're still a small team because um, we're only launched in April last year. So mm -hmm. we've been around now for one year. Um, so we have Ronnie, she's our art director and she does the UI and UX. Mm -hmm. Then uh, Jean-Charles, he's in charge of the development of the website. Um, Serene, she does the production. She helps with the production um, of the, you know, campaigns and mm -hmm. of, you know, sort of the shoots. And then we have an in-house photographer, Hafiz, um, who supervises, you know, any of the shoots um, and helps us, you know, with that as well. And Lavi and, and Alia, they, they sit in Jakarta and they yeah. help us with, you know, sort of reaching out to photographers in Indonesia because there's a very big market there. Yes. There's, there's a, massive a lot market. of photographers in Indonesia. There's a lot of photographers right? and they're very good photographers as well. They're yeah. very creative and we're trying to... Why know, is that? What, what is it about Indonesia and photography? Because then I know in, in Instagram earlier on, a lot of the, the meetups... Yeah. Like Jakarta was a huge base for people just meeting up and taking photos. They were very early adopters of photography yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's a little bit, you know, to do with creativity. They like to yeah. be more creative. They like to think out, you know, sort of a bit more out of the box. And then Indonesia is a fantastic place to take photos right. as well. I mean, yeah, landscapes, you know, beaches, you know, wherever you go. And I think uh, it's a great opportunity for them just to pick up, you know, sort of the camera and, and just take photos. Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful place. But, yeah, we're very lucky that there are so many photographers out there. And the good thing is that outside of Singapore, which is really the hub for global brands, Indonesia is most of the time, so the majority of those brands, the first, you know, most important market mm. because it is a big market. Right. So you find any global brand, you know, has a, a big presence in, in Indonesia. Exactly. So that's why for us it's important to have a, a presence there, mm -hmm. and, um, and not only for you know sort of to reach out to photographers, but also you know sort of to engage you know sort of with the brands over there and mm. to get them in as clients. 
I suppose that the needs are quite specific as well in a place like Indonesia. There's many different looks and many different backgrounds, even like cultures within Indonesia. Island by island, they're going to look, mm -hmm. dress, speak differently. And, you know, like that vibe's going to be different, isn't it? So you couldn't just put maybe hashtag Indonesian, yeah. you made it like Bali or Lombok, maybe it's different. I don't yeah. know if somebody was very specific with their, their marketing. Yeah. I mean, what we find is that where there is a real lack is at the moment, you know, sort of photos with people. So um, we just did recently a project with Nivea in, mm. uh, in uh, Indonesia, in Jakarta. And uh, it, was a, it was a very good project because, you know, sort of they wanted just a sort of Indonesian, but a sort of the more Pan-Asian look a little bit as well. Right. Um, for, you know, just candid, you know, sort of lifestyle photography, right. you know, with the product and without the product. So where the lack is really is, you know, so there's a lack of, you know, stock photos with people. Mm. So we find there's, you know, more, I'd say there's more offer on landscapes and Bali, nature yeah. and so on. Yeah. But when it comes to lifestyle photography with people, that's where, you know, sort of we, we get in and then we help them, you know, sort of to produce mm. that content for them as well. Is that just because, like you say, that it's not a professionalized market exactly, or is it is yeah. a cultural thing maybe? No, it's not just, it's not professionalized. Right. So in the past, there was no need. Yeah. And I mean, I've been here for seven years now as well in the region. I would have said, you know, said even seven years ago, I would have not set up this type of business because right. probably the market was not ready yet. It's a very mm. immature market. But nowadays, in 2018 and going forward, this has changed a lot. So What's changed? Well, that, you know, sort of brands want to localize. So in Jakarta, right. when I speak to Nivea Jakarta, they say, we only want Indonesians in the photos. Right. Well, that's a relief, We don't want, you know, sort of Chinese, you know, sort <laughs> of in the photos. But this is the look and feel that we want. So that's what's, you know, been changing a lot. You mm. know, sort of, and then when I speak to brands here, they want the diversity in the picture. Yeah. So the diversity in Singapore can be Singaporean Chinese, Singaporean Malay, Singaporean Indian, and they want that yep. diversity in the photos when it comes to, I don't know, a group of friends going out, uh, having lunch or having dinner or, you know, sort of doing, you know, sort of uh, or, or a startup environment. And they want that diversity, which mm. doesn't exist normally in the stock photos. Yeah, I tell you that that it happens to be one stock photo that doesn't exist anyways, Asian startup. Yeah. I've searched for it everywhere because anything you get is obviously in an American office. Yeah, yeah, you, you find that a lot. Because what happens is that a lot of American photographers, I mean, outside of Asia, yeah. the US would be the biggest market with Asians. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of, you know, sort of American photographers who just shoot any ethnicity. Yeah. So it can be from, you know, sort of a Western, you know, American over to, you know, sort of Chinese American um, because, you know, it's a second generation. It can be, you know, sort of uh, black American. Mm. So they just shoot anything across. And that's why you find that the majority of the photos are in an American setup. Yeah. So you can tell that it's, you know, sort of... Um, yeah, it's it's not it's Doesn't not work. Asia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about where you are as well as a business because, like you said, you started. When did you start? Well, last year. What? We we actually we uh, started the company in October two thousand sixteen, right. but we didn't launch until April two thousand seventeen. Right. So you've been going for, for one, under for one year. Uh, April 17 to June now. No, just above a year. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, okay, so. so just above a year. Yeah. But you're already making money. Yeah. 
Okay, so where, where does most of the money come from? Like you've mentioned people like Nivea, for example. Is it sort of more of the bespoke work that you are finding the initial revenues coming from? Yeah, so the biggest at the moment um, uh, revenues coming from on-demand branded content. Right. So that means low-cost com- uh, shoots yep. that we do um, on our platform. And that helps us um, to, because we get quicker revenue through that, and that yeah. helps us, you know, to build at the same time, you know, the stock, you know, sort of photos mm. that is going to give us more revenue in the long run. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. But because it doesn't exist, you know, those stock photos don't exist, they need to be either, you know, sort of curated, sourced, or produced. And that's, you know, sort of why on demand gives us, you know, sort of quicker revenue at the moment because okay. there, there's a lack. Right. Also for, you know, low cost, you know, commercial shoots. Yeah. And th- those models complement each other as well. You've yeah. got the, the on demand, as you say, it fuels the the more sort of the the, the platform style model mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And um, long term, they could work together. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason exactly. why you can't have those running beside yeah. each other. Yeah. Because you will have people who don't want to necessarily go through and search through a whole platform, exactly. have a very specific need as well. Yeah. Maybe they have a budget yeah. for that. I mean, normally when we speak to brands, the reason why we started on demand as well is because each time we would go to visit any of the brands, yeah. they would always say to us, yes, we buy stock, but we also produce, you yeah. know, we also need on demand branded content because normally they want exclusive photos or videos as well. And some of them with the products as well. So we then thought maybe it's a good opportunity for us to pr- create a platform mm. where, you know, we can help brands, you know, to have, you know, both anything visual from photos over to videos. And it can be stock or it can be, you know, sort of on demand mm-hmm. or crowdsourced, you know, sort of by us as well. Okay. And you're raising funds at the moment? Yes, we're doing a seed fund at the moment, uh-huh. raising seed. Yeah. Um, what, what are you looking for? What's public at the moment? Are you allowed to share your public? I mean, you can share what you can. If if you don't have details that you can share, maybe you can share what kind of people you're interested in talking yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, we've raised, um, uh, we've raised a lot on convertible note from mm-hmm. business angels. Um, mainly, and uh, we're now looking for you know a major round. So a major round would be minimum of half a million mm-hmm. to get Singapore us dollars. Singapore dollars yeah. at the moment, yeah, to go to the next level, and that means a little bit of expansion. So putting you know salespeople mm-hmm. and operational people in you know sort of in place in Jakarta and KL and in Thailand, mm-hmm. um, and that you know sort of will help us you know to get to the next level you know sort of of the expansion as well. Yeah. Um, because we've been running you know sort of we've been stretching the the money we raised you know sort of uh, along you know sort of for quite a while, and with a very lean team, and we think you know now is the next level you know sort of that we need to get in. So ideally, we would you know get either you know as a bridge you know sort of convertible node or, or business private business angels on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're looking really, you know, sort of for, the, for a seed round at the moment. Okay, so it's about half a million half up. Half a million, yeah. 300, about 350 US, yeah, exactly. roughly. Yeah. And that would be to, like you say, to expand your operations in those cities. You mm-hmm. talked about Jakarta, KL mm-hmm. and Thailand. Mm-hmm. Singapore, obviously not a cheap place to bootstrap a startup. Yes, so, yes. But you're here, you're, yeah. you're maintaining your presence here because mm-hmm. you've got access to the the, the buyers the, global, the clients exactly right. yeah because a lot of the global you know sort of head office are based yep. here um for the region so it's easy for us you know so to meet up with them we, sure. we sit right in the middle yeah. of uh, singapore and uh, and amor street and they're around there there are a lot of advertising agencies a lot of brands so this we, is the hub right this and is it's a great hub, place yeah. to i guess you're incorporated here as well yeah, so exactly. it makes complete sense yeah, for the investors yeah. all right good excellent 
I want to ask you um, more on the entrepreneurial side of things. You left a corporate environment. Yes. At what point did you think you became an entrepreneur? I'm just curious because I always wondered, like everybody that comes here, I wondered, you know, at what point in your life do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Um, is it something that you were born with? Did you learn it like when you were in your teens? Did you learn it when you went into the corporate environment? For yourself, at what point did you think you would like to become an entrepreneur? Or did it ever actually have that thought? Did it just sort of happen for you? Like, okay, now I'm an entrepreneur. What was the story there? I think my story has always been because for the previous companies I used to work with, part of my job or my role besides, you know, looking after the marketing team and communications has always been to look for business opportunities for additional revenue streams for the companies. Yeah. So I would always see an opportunity that I would say, okay, I think this could work. And because I've traveled my whole life and um, a lot of, you know, sort of business ideas come from the U.S. And, mm. I, and I used to spend quite a bit of time there or in, even in England or, you know, anywhere else in Europe. And I used to go back, you know, to Spain uh, prior to coming you know to Singapore I'd always say oh I see you know this could work here or this could work here and in fact like six months later or a year later you know those things you know would happen and the same thing here when I came to Singapore I thought this business model you know that I've seen in Europe and the US you know could work here so Mm. and, and I've been developing you know sort of concepts and ideas and new revenue streams for the previous companies I used to work with but obviously not with my own money mm. and uh, so that you have the financial security yeah. yeah so it's very different and I have to say I decided then you know two years ago to quit corporate because I thought I'll just give it a try um I was working why? for it why did you decide just people don't just I, give it a try it's really it's really funny because I went to a conference uh, an e-commerce conference and then there's this young you know guy standing on the on the stage and he was talking about you know everything that he'd done and whatever and he I think he was 28 or 29 right. and I thought you know sort of I've spent you know so many years going through corporate and learning so much you know yeah. sort of and um and learning about operations so not only marketing but i've been you know sort of in very senior roles and also on boards and so on mm. and i thought maybe you know sort of my experience helps me you know sort of with the startup and i think i walked out of the conference thinking i can do this <laughs> so, yeah. so but you know until you get the right idea um i'd always thought oh, i don't have the time to you know work on a business plan and so on but then I, the more I thought about, you know, the stock, you know, sort of photos and the on-demand branded content, I suddenly I sort of found myself working in the evenings and on the weekends on a business plan. Mm. And then um, the, the last company I was working with, an online travel agency, they had new investors coming on board. And we didn't get on, you know, so strategy-wise, what, what their objectives were for, for Singapore and for the region versus, you know, sort of what I thought would, you know, sort of be the best. And then I thought, well, I can either continue in corporate or I can give this a try. And that's really, you know, sort of what right. happened that I thought then I've never raised funds in my whole life before. And uh, and I thought if I'm able to raise some money, then I'm just going to give this a try and just jump into the cold water. And I had already worked on the business plan. Um, and that's what I did. And uh, yeah, and here I find myself... <laughs> Still smiling, but what, what was it like? I'm, I'm. This is a. I'm really curious. Is that that day one? Now that you've left the corporate world, and now you are the owner of your own business, and you're starting out on the plan. What did it feel like that first day, or that first initial period 
what kind of thought processes were going in your head? The reason I ask is, it's preparing people for that. Yeah. You know, were you was it really exciting? Were you like dancing around, like, hoo hoo, I'm running my own business? Or what was the reality of that? Yeah, I mean, reality is yes, there's a lot of excitement about it because it's your own business, you know. Sort of on the other hand, you get very scared as well because you don't have any financial support that means mm. you're not within a corporate company and that and you sleep at night time normally you know sort of because you don't worry about am i going to be able to pay people's salaries right. in the next month or not if this works out or not because a business plan at the end of the day is an idea is a vision and it's put on paper reality sometimes you know can be very different mm. and that's why a lot of startups sometimes have to pivot so i'd say my advice is you have to be really flexible enough and, and, you know, sort of recognize when, you know, so you need to pivot into, I don't know, sometimes from B2C to B2B or vice versa, mm. or maybe the product is not right, or maybe, you know, it's still the, the market's still immature and it'll take some time, or you really have to be open, I think, and flexible. And the other thing is it's not a sprint. So I find myself yep. that if you pace give 150% right from the beginning, you have to pace yourself. Mm. It's like a, it's a long run. It's, it's a marathon. It's and a marathon more. and it's a very long marathon. So, yeah. And only the ones that survive really that marathon, that just keep their head down and just keep on going are the ones that really survive. Yeah. Because, you know, at the beginning, and I know when we first started, we had some people, you know, that dropped off and that happens with any startup. And I think at the end of the day, it's really people who believe in the project and yeah. who believe that, you know, if you keep on going, that it's a good idea and, and that, you know, sort of that you, you know, think that it's going to, you know, it's going to work out eventually. But it's definitely, it's a marathon and it's, uh, <laughs> and it's sometimes at, at times very challenging, very yeah. scary. And, uh, but it just, yeah. That's why we're here. Yeah. I think it's the challenge that it's makes us grow. Exactly. The people that you're looking for to join your team as well, because yeah. you, you're talking about um, expanding in different countries yeah. as well. How do you know they believe? Or, or is that important? I suppose I should ask the question. Is it important that they believe to the same extent that you believe? Because mm -hmm. they're not the owner of the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do they need to come in with the same kind of belief in what you're doing? Or is it okay just for job seekers? Mm -hmm. What are you looking for? I, ha I think I, I'm convinced that they have to believe. And the reason why is also because, you know, startups, we cannot, you know, sort of pay the same salary mm. as any other corporate company. So we really need people who are excited about, you know, startup, who are excited about learning, you know, sort of not only in a very, you know, sort of a, um, specialized department, you know, sort of only about branding, only about marketing, only about this but who are just, who want to multitask, who want to learn across. It can be from operationals over to finance, over to marketing, you know, sort of across. And then who believe in the project because, you know, sort of if you don't believe anymore, if you think the business model is not going to work, mm. they just, they lose interest. And at the end of the day, you know, sort of if you pay, you know, sort of low salaries to someone that has no interest whatsoever, it's just not going to work no. out, you know. You really need people who really believe, you know, sort of in the whole idea and the whole right. project. And where do you see that? So if somebody came to you and said, oh, I'd love to work for a startup, I heard, you know, some a friend told me a startup was a good thing to work for. Mm -hmm. I want to give it a try. How do you know that they are the right person when you're recruiting rather than somebody who just kind of thinks it might be cool to work mm -hmm. for a startup? Sometimes at the beginning, it's you don't know. Right. It's, I think it's a matter of trying out because you do see that at the beginning they might be very excited and they might be very positive. But as I said, it's not easy in a startup. 
Um, so it's a lot of long hours as well and uh, sometimes up and downs because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. So it really has to be someone who is there for the long run as well. So who, who is willing to win, a, to sort of to run the marathon at the same time, you know, sort of as yourself as well. And as I said, we had sometimes, and it happens across all startups, that the beginning people are very excited and then they they sort of stop the marathon because they think this is they too much, up. you yeah, know, they the just middle, give yeah. up. Yeah, so it's a bit hard to identify right from the beginning, mm. I would say. It's just a matter of trying it out and see, you know, how they progress as well. Mm. It's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it, yeah. Isabel Gonzalez, everybody. Founder, CEO of Cloud9. It's been a real pleasure having you on and inspiring as well. And you're smiling away. Yeah. Like the challenges. That's <laughs> what it's all so about. Much but I think, you know, it's, it's great that, you know, that projects and that's, you know, I, I believe often the founders are the DNA of the company. They're the one that sets the culture. You can get an idea for what it's like to work in that company by just seeing the founder and what yeah. they're about and their attitude and the way they speak to people and so on. That's, that's such a powerful part of that branding experience that you know when you build that early team they will reflect on that yeah. they will become part of that your personality will rub off on them as well mm. so isabel thank you so much for coming today and but so people will be interested in, in reaching out to you yes and whether they are potential investors potential partners yeah. agencies or people who want to work in your team yes. what is the most effective way of them contacting you um, they can contact me either on LinkedIn, Isabel Gonzalez. Yeah. Gonzalez. We'll put all the details or in the show Cloud, notes. Or Cloud9, so K-L-A-U-D-9 uh, dot com. We have a contact um, uh, email address there as well. Okay. So they can always, you know, send us, drop us an email. We normally, you know, sort of answer within, you know, a couple of hours. So fairly fast as well. Excellent. Okay. Isabel. Isabel Gonzalez, everybody. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your journey with us. We wish you all the best and all the best with your fundraising and expansion. Thanks a lot, Graham. Really appreciate, you know, having me on board. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Good.